Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, Happy New Year, Seattle. Happy New Year, Puget Sound, and aloha. Hey, folks, it's 2020. That means your vision will be perfect, uh, your uh, resolutions will be sound and smart, and you should, uh, well, you should venture to try new things, uh, different things, and of course, tasty things. When I think of tasty things, I'm always thinking about the sun and tropical notes. And one of the things you think about sunshine and tropical places, you usually think of rum. And I've enjoyed lots and lots of rum in my life, and of course the Caribbean, and of course the Hawaiian Islands, and uh, um, I've got a bottle of something very unique, which is uh, really quite special. Plus, I've got the two cats who are in charge of this. Uh, this is called Ko'olau, and it's Old Pali Road, Old Pali Road whiskey, handcrafted in Hawaii. Um, this is a brand new expression here, available in uh, Washington, and I've, I've got both Eric Dill and Ian Brooks on the line. You guys are uh, on, on Oahu, my friends. That's correct. We're in Kailua on uh, on Oahu. All right. Of course, it's a Saturday night, and uh, well, you guys are a couple hours behind us, so you probably got that sunset. And uh, of course, I love Diamond Head with all those fireworks on uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, and um, what a treat! So, uh, tell me, you guys uh, got sick of rum and said you know wanted some whiskey, or what happened? Uh, I think we just both prefer whiskey, and uh, it was a good opportunity here in the market. Uh, with there's no other. No one else is legally making uh, whiskey here in the island chain, and, and it's my favorite thing to drink. Uh, and so, you know, it was it was an opportunity for us. Are you guys um, are both uh, uh, veterans in this uh, the spirits industry, or are you guys restaurant guys, or just entrepreneurs, or surfers? Well, we're uh, restaurant guys. Um, we uh, own some uh, part of some restaurants in New York City, uh, Suvi Kitchen, uh, and uh, we've got we've got a lot of uh, brewing before we did this. Uh, home brewing, and then we just branched out. Uh, we had some friends in the industry that uh, showed us the ropes, and uh, we thought we'd throw caution in the wind and give it a give it a whirl out here in Hawaii. <laughs> Do you go to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, See, that was veterans. Ian, right? Now, this speaking now is Ian. Eric. Eric, yeah. got it. So All Eric, right. Eric, we're also veterans of a different sort, and that uh, we both got over twenty years in the uh, Marine Corps, and we're in the process of retiring from it right now. Oh, I see. Wow. So I ex- I will expect a Semper Fi expression sometime, right? Something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Semper Fi. Yeah. That's it. That's actually how the, the, the motivation of this started. I was in uh, Baghdad in 2008, and some guys got busted making uh, moonshine in one of their uh, housing uh, units. And uh, I was just fascinated that, that, you know, I mean, they were doing it with a coffee maker, essentially. And I was kind of fascinated that, that someone had the knowledge to do that. So... Being before the the YouTube do-it-yourself revolution where you can look up anything and how to do it, and there's a video for it, I mean, I I started doing a lot of reading on the process because it's either either you you learn it through research or you learn it because it's handed down in your family. And uh, and then I kind of got away from it, and then a good friend of ours that we served with in Fallujah called. He was graduating from Indiana Law School, and he's called me and said he wasn't going to practice. He was going to open a distillery instead. And it was kind of in the family for him. So uh, 
we ended up investing with Travis Barnes at Hotel Tango in Indiana, uh, Hotel Tango Distillery. And I spent a lot of time with Travis, uh, you know, uh, visiting him and making whiskey with him. And I saw his lifestyle and I said, you know, I got to retire from the Marine Corps <laughs> at some point. And uh, that seems like, like surfing and making whiskey seemed like a pretty good, uh, pretty good setup for me if I could pull it off. So we spent uh, the last few years uh, trying to make this a reality. Wow, is that like whiskey, yeah, is whiskey Hotel I'm Fox sorry. Tango or something? Is that sort of a is that where Tango yeah. came from? So uh, Hotel Tango uh, is uh, a, a combination of his wife's name and his name. Okay, uh, Travis, <laughs> Hillary, Hillary, and Travis Barnes, and, and they're they're making some amazing stuff in Indiana. They'd be a, they'd definitely be a good phone call at one of these points. I'd uh, love for to. You as well. Indiana is really a big yeah. distilling uh, state, as I understand. They do a lot of stuff there. There's a couple big uh, empires, if I recall. Uh, oh, yeah. And Ian, so are you guys this? What what's your rank here as uh, Marines? We're both lieutenant colonels in the Marine Corps. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we've uh, we've had our fun with guns in the sun. I think we're you know we're get, they're putting us out the pasture at this stage. Um, you know we're we're both riding the desk. We're reconnaissance Marines, and I was an infantry Marine when I was active duty. Um, so we're kind of uh, you know we, we we're trying to pass it on to younger uh, individuals to go ahead and take care of business. But uh, you know my life's never going to get any better than uh, making whiskey in Hawaii. I think I tapped out at forty four. So uh, you know we're looking forward to this endeavor and. You know, people have been very, very, uh, very open with trying our whiskey, and that's great because we're trying to do something that hasn't been done here in Hawaii for a long time, as far as we can tell. And uh, but we want to always put forward the fact that we are a whiskey company in Hawaii that's veteran-owned. Uh, we want to put a quality whiskey out there, and I believe we've achieved it. Um, most important thing is is just staying true to ourselves. People want to go ahead and help us out because we're local. They want to help us out because we're uh, you know, veteran owned, but uh, we have to be giving a outstanding product there on the market. And you have a bottle there and I hope you uh, feel the same way after trying it. Well, I'm excited. Uh, first of all, thank you for your service. And I'm glad you guys are back and able to, uh, to take on new endeavors. Uh, are you guys Howley's or are you guys Hoppa Howley or what? I'm full on Howley. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, <laughs> that's why I live in Hawaii. Yes. What I tell people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I flew here. I didn't. I didn't grow here. Okay, so. <laughs> pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um. So, no, uh, son, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No. I'll say Koaloa. Koaloa is um is where's that the distillery based? So we're we're literally at the base of the Koalau Mountains. Uh, the name of the volcano that that used to be uh, what Hawaii was um, or Oahu was made from was the Koalau volcano and. What's left of it is that that really distinct uh, mountain range that we have here, which actually forms. If you look on the back of the uh, bottle, the UPC, the silhouette of the UPC oh, code is, 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 is the uh, is the silhouette of the Koalau Mountain Range. So, uh, it, it's the it's the spine of Oahu, and it's you know when if you live on the east side of the island, it just dominates your uh, your your horizon at all times and it's just such a striking you know landscape and uh, feature so a lot of things over here are named that i mean everything from veterinary clinics to uh to uh, uh you know delis nurseries <laughs> nurseries and things and delis and so for us uh kailua is is a is a great town at the base of the koalau and that's that's where our our, uh, our distillery is 
Well, this is really exciting. So let's talk about, let's get down to uh, the brass tacks, if you will. Where uh, is the source material and what is the source material for this particular whiskey? Well, the most important thing is the water here. I mean, with any, you know, with any distilled spirit, you know, the basis for it's going to be its water. And our water, one of the things that's uh, really, you know, fortunate for us is it's absolutely a unique water. Uh, you know, it's, uh, if you go to the Hawaii's Board, Board of Water uh, website, they have a great uh, 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 page on the life cycle of a raindrop here. So we have some of the purest rain on the planet out here in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, most of our rain comes from the Northeast. There's nothing Northeast uh, except for Alaska. And once it hits the ground here, it matriculates for about 30 years before it's accessible from the aquifers that we, we source from. So, and in that process, you get a really uh, unique mineral content because it filters through volcanic soil and volcanic rock for about 30 years. And we also get a very alkaline uh, uh, water. So we're, we're pulling off uh, the tap at about 8.03 pH. And the only thing City and County does to it is add chlorine and chloride for safety reasons, which we remove through filtration. Otherwise, uh, everything remains the same. It, it allows us to have a really smooth whiskey, even though we're a young whiskey, uh, because of that, that water source that we have. Uh, what we do in terms of recipe, we, we, we start with a bourbon recipe. We don't call it bourbon on the bottle, but we are about 90% corn, 10% two-row malted barley. Uh-huh. And uh, we use a, a no-cook method. And, uh, Is we, that the sour mash it, method? Yeah, we do. That's I adjust my pH with a sour mash from the previous run. Cool. And we use we use as much local corn as we can. If you've been here and you've driven around the North Shore and you've seen the corn shacks, you know we've got some incredibly sweet corn here. Uh, the soil that uh, produces a, uh, a unique corn, and you get these, I mean, they're literally tourist attractions, the corn, the corn shacks here. So <laughs> we're, we're, able to, we're able to use that, that really sweet corn. We, we, uh, we're limited in our supply, so we definitely supplement uh, uh, with uh, uh, corn we get from the mainland. But go ahead, Ian. Because it, it's important to realize being on an island, um, it is a closed circuit for uh, growth. So right. we're here to go ahead and support the farmers, um, and we want to use as much as we can, but every ear of corn was destined for somebody's plate. Sure. We don't have extra corn here. If we're in Iowa, I'm sure we can find it growing on the side of the road, um, which is <laughs> awesome. But uh, here we, we want to go ahead and support because uh, we are a community. You know, the earth is an island, but we're really on an island doing the stuff out here. So our purpose in that is we decided with whiskey as well, besides loving it, uh, we can actually get corn from the Ina or the land. So we're seeking out now. Um, hopefully we're going to get, because now we have proof of concept, we have a really great product. Um, we're hoping to get into a relationship with um, some local farmers that are going to go ahead and source it continually. Um, it would have been irresponsible for us to start with a program where we say, hey, we want three years of all your corn. And for some reason, you know, if we didn't get that superior product out and we didn't do as well as we're doing right now, um, we would have somebody's livelihood besides ours. Um, really dependent on what we were doing. So um, we're getting into the stage where we're adding more and more local corn as we go and supporting those farmers that really need it here in Hawaii. I like it. Sounds uh, very in the aloha spirit. Of course, uh, you have one giant community there. Um, When was the first batch uh, distilled, and um, how how long are you aging it, and in what sort of uh, receptacle? So uh, we did our – we've been in business for – a uh, little over two years at this point. Uh, we bottled our first bottle uh, this February. Uh, 
Uh, we're agent in uh, White Oak American, or excuse me, American White Oak Barrels. I'll get that backwards. American White Oak Barrels. Uh, we get them from Minnesota, and uh, they tell us that the wood is sourced from Missouri. Um, and we do a light toast on the inside of our barrels. So um, we it, it results in a little bit more amber liquid. Another thing we do, another reason why we're not putting bourbon on the bottles, uh, just we, we do reuse our barrels. Um, so obviously you can't call it bourbon if you do that. Sure. One year new, uh, one year new chart. American Oak, uh, Old Poly Road. So that is the road at your distillery. Yeah. So when you taste it, you're going to notice. You're, you're definitely going to taste bourbon, but you're going to also notice some uh, some Japanese uh, aspects, like a Japanese whiskey. Uh, you know, um, aspects to to the expression. And the Old Poly Road is the was the only connector between the east and the west oh, right. uh, part of the island. Not Leaky Leaky Highway. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. So the Old Pie Road was actually a, a footpath before it became a road, and then it, it was a it was a it was a footpath and ex- expanded uh, into a one lane road, which you have to have a flag to drive back and forth, and then it became a two lane road, and it's expanded over the years. We're actually doing repairs on it right now. It's been shut down for for right uh, on. on and off for months. Um, what's the website? And, uh, it's www com, And that's uh, basically cool, like Kool-Aid, coolaudistillery.com. I'm tasting this whiskey. Um, I like that it's very soft on the palate. Uh, it, it's distinct. It, this is really a unique whiskey. Um, I would think with that all that oak you've got, it would be a little more harsh and tannin, but it's truly smooth. You just have a kiss of oak on that, and uh, I, I'm really pleased with it. Um, it is available here in Washington State, is it not? It is. So if you go to our website, that website you just described, uh, you can go to our store, click on a bottle, and it can be delivered to you, uh, delivered direct to your door, actually. Well, that's what we like, and we have to go out and drive. We can start drinking right away. Um, yeah. Ian Brooks and uh, Eric Dill, you guys, uh, congratulations on uh, all you're doing over there. I, I like your your packaging. I like your message, and I do like your whiskey, and I appreciate your time here on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you so much. Aloha, my friend. All right, mahalo and aloha. Hey, folks, you got to check it out. It's uh, Ko'olau Distillery and Old Pali Road Whiskey right from the islands of Hawaii. Hey, stick around. We've got more coming up on Happy Hour Radio. Turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show. Live and local. Weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia. Christopher Chan. All right. Happy New Year, Seattle. Hey, and it's time to uh, jump into some more whiskey. Um, Remember back in December, I had my pal Matt Halfman, who is the uh, co-founder and master distiller over at Westland. And they're down on First Avenue, Thirst Avenue, as it were, here in the Soto District, south of downtown in Seattle. And uh, we had so much whiskey, we didn't have time to consume (laughs) or um, taste it all. So Matt's back in studio. Welcome back, pal. 
Yeah, thanks for having me back. We were talking about 17 varieties of barley that you have a specific um, Pacific Northwest oak that you use, and it's air-dried staves, and uh, you have a four- to six-year blend for your American oak, uh, American single malt. Is that right? That's exactly right. Excellent. I did remember that, and it's only been a couple weeks. Um, Welcome back. So the American oak, to me, is is such a beautiful expression of barley. The barley flavor is... It's almost a breakfast scotch, right? <laughs> I mean, to us, that's the thing is barley has so much beautiful flavor that again, anytime you you, you know you drink a beer, it tastes like beer, you know yeah. it's you've got those nutty notes, chocolates. If you like you know darker beers, porters, and stouts, you know that everybody knows that. It's just that you don't see it expressed in whiskey too much, and it is delicious. I rarely get as many. Um Cogeners or uh, esters or of that barley profile in a lot of whiskeys. I guess I do get it in scotch sometimes because that's typically 100% barley. I mean, yeah. usually. It's, it's just kind of, you know, the type of barleys we're using, the roasted malts, almost that's it. almost nobody's doing There's that. There's a hint of chocolate in that, and that's, that's exactly what it, right. I, it's, it's almost like a white chocolate kind of thing that you get that sense. That's what it is. Chocolate is really... It's it's a little deceiving because you've got vanilla in there, and of course you got it from the oak. Um, and you said you use a medium toast, or so we use two different types. So first of all, um, like we talked about before, there's air drying on the wood, but then we have two different char levels. One was a number three char, so that's a, a medium heavy char. But we also have one that is uh, a heavy toast. So the wood is toasted, but not on fire. When it's toasted, it's creating all of those really interesting flavor compounds, the caramels, vanillas, things like that. And then it's charred really briefly. So we kind of use both. It gives us more complexity that way. Uh, well, well done. I'm really impressed. And of course, we talked about your sister distillery, Brook Lottie, uh, on the island of Isla in Scotland and they do some amazing whiskeys. And, of course, uh, my friend Brent Young I worked with for a long time at the Rainer right. Club, yeah. a good pal of mine. We've had him and, of course, their Octomore. And um, one of my favorite whiskeys. And I, I, I can see, you know what, there's a sense of artisanalness here that I, that I relate to from that because their whiskeys, what I'll call very palatable. There's a certain elegance to the palate. Um, and, you know, because I, I can jump on Pete like, you know, Lagavulin with the best of them, right? But that's a little overpowering. And I'm curious to try your peated whiskey. But before we get there, we have something called Sherry Wood American Single Malt. Yeah, our Sherry Wood expression is is kind of an offshoot of, of the main trunk of the tree. If you think of American oak as, as the core, you know, Sherry Wood is, is an expression of that. So it's starting with the same base materials, those roasted malts that bring that you know, beautiful nuttiness, chocolate, pastry notes. But then we're going to go for a more traditional style of maturation. So American white oak, new American white oak, like we use in the first expression, um, that's that's more commonly used for bourbon, not commonly done in Scottish single malts. But when you think of Scottish single malts, especially like, you know, quote-unquote space-side styles, things like that, you get these old sherry wine casts from Spain. Exactly. And you get this dark fruitiness, uh, PX wine and Oloroso wine. Uh, PX is literally made from raisins. Right. And, you know, that provides some raisinated notes and dark sweetness and Oloroso some nuttiness and some kind of stewed fruits and things like that. So um, but it's a very traditional style of maturation. And that was a really important thing for us. You know, we're balancing here on this kind of cusp of innovation and tradition. And how much innovation do you push while still holding on to some aspects of tradition? Sherry Wood is a really nice balance of those two things. Now, Sherry Wood comes in different sizes. We talk about little port pipes or... or uh uh, sh- sherry casks, um, and they can come in, in different volume sizes, but also different uh, sizes with uh, geometry. And some whiskeys have been cask finished. Is this a cask finished whiskey, or has this actually been uh, um, 
elevated or elevaged in Sherry Wood the whole time? So, first of all, I'll say that everything we do is completely transparent. So if people want to see exactly the makeup of the recipe that we do, they can just go right to our website. We'll tell you all about it because it is actually quite complicated. We're using two different sizes, the traditional size we call butts, which are five to 600 liters, and also something called hogsheads, 250 liters. Uh, But within that, we're doing both finishing. So that means the whiskey's in uh, a new oak cask for three years, let's say, and then into these sherry casks for a year or two. Uh, But we also do some stuff that is what we call full-term sherry cask maturation. So directly into the sherry cask right off the still, and it spends its entire life there. And when we use both methods, we get more complexity, different types of sherry cask expression. But we're also, and this is really important, we're also still trying to balance that against the barley. This tastes very familiar with like the American single malt. Is this the same original recipe as far as the uh, new make spirit goes? That's exactly right. And that was really important to us to be able to, to respect that, that core of what we'd call our house style, the nuttiness, the chocolates, the pastries, the malts, the malted barley, but still bringing these sherry cast flavors that are so delicious and so traditional to the table. Have you found that this 40, again, this expression is 46% alcohol and 92 proof. Is, is that something that you believe um, provi- is the sweet spot, so to speak, of having the, the flavor profile and yet also the smooth approachability? Yeah, so 46% alcohol was a, was a level of alcohol that we had targeted at the beginning, um, you know, that allowed us to, to remain non-chill filtered with our whiskeys. And therefore, these um, you know, three core expressions, American oak, sherrywood, and peated are all blended um, to be at 46% alcohol by volume. But we have other expressions that we release, especially the, especially the limited editions, where, you know, we're free to experiment with different things and say maybe this is best at 50% or 55%, things like that. Oh, wow. So it all, it all depends on what feels right. You don't, of course, you don't want the alcohol to overwhelm your palate. Also, at the same time, the more alcohol is in there, kind of the more flavor you can pack in, mm. if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and if it's cold and <laughs> dark out, I don't mind a, a nice little warmth, if you will, from this jam. I'm curious, um, as a blender, and when you're blending different barrels, and, and from this one particular single malt distillery, right, um, or one single distillation, I should say, when do you taste, and, and how do you prepare your palate for tasting um in blending, or or is it? You know what? You've kind of got it down. You you know these toasts. You know these coopers. You know kind of how this particular area of the warehouse. And we'll talk about that in a second as well. But try to answer the first question before I get carried away. Yeah. So um, you know the the thing about blending is it's so personal. You know, I remember going back to Scotland uh, back in 2014 and like trying to find where's that magic textbook on blending. You know that that exists that will tell you all of the secrets. You know, I went through as much formal education and whiskey making as you can there's nothing on blending and no, there, there is there is there, is there is no special book and that's what i found out when i was there but it ends up being a very personal relationship and it's about how you contextualize whiskeys so you know i'm not the full-time blender anymore we have we have a blender his name is shane he does an excellent job anything you've tasted over the past few years um you have him to okay. thank for it cool um but you know he, the way that he and i would blend you know we think differently about it even though we're trying to achieve the same goal but that's you know that's kind of the beauty of it is it's so personal, um, but you do no matter what your technique you do have to t- nose and taste everything because each cask is different and that's quite that might sound like a really fun job I'm just going to mm, taste every single cask work. of whiskey I mean it is amazing it's but work it is work you, you know have to be and focused. it's quite challenging you definitely do and you have to yeah I think ideally you're tasting things at a certain time every day uh, keeping your palate especially your palate that's the really hard part. Uh, keeping your palate clear. Ideally, you're doing it just before lunch. 
because just before lunch, your senses are heightened yeah, because you're hungry. Yeah, they say 10 a.m., this degustation time in France. And I was thinking, Shane, 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 yeah. the Shane of booze. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was a, a DJ for a long time. There it and is. And a crazy karaoke host, so I've got all these songs stuck in my head. Um, well, how, how did you hire Shane to become this taster? Was he a sommelier? Was he a chef? Was he a saucier? Or? No, none of the above. I mean, that's kind of the, the funny thing about starting a, a whiskey distillery in a place where there's no history history of doing it, everybody is starting from scratch. You know, and the thing is that we've we've found people coming into this business is almost nobody has experience in distilling, and that's okay. If you if you can be passionate and you can be intellectually curious, you know, like basically that's you'll key. do well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially in, in our line of work and the way that we make whiskey. Um, but you know, we you know Shane's been with us for seven years and we actually Shane and I both went through the first uh course with the Court of Master Sommeliers together okay. because there's a lot, you know, again, we learn a lot from these adjacent industries, including the wine industry. So we went through that together and that informs a lot of how we taste and trial things. And he's been blending full time for three years. Excellent. Uh, and when I think about the warehouse, uh, was I under the impression that you have a warehouse closer to the ocean or closer to the, yeah, closer to the ocean? Yeah, we right? do. Absolutely. So we have- um, Or an eight barrel, what do they call it? A rick house. A rack house. Yeah, everybody's yeah. got a different term for right. it. But we, we call them rack houses. Um, and so we're using two different uh, rack houses out there that are out in, in Hoquiam. So right, uh, right out on the coast. Um, you know, and the big thing for us is- is not changing the maturation conditions at all. There is a school of thought that's beginning to take hold in the whiskey industry where it's about manipulating sure. the rack. And I'm not a believer in that at all. Because, yeah, you can make good whiskey, but it's not evocative of a place anymore if you try to make it be like Kentucky or be like yeah, California. It's like moving the flower, you know, and try to make sure that it's always... And maybe you do that with the orchid, because I tell you, I cannot grow an orchid. <laughs> uh, yeah, or it's 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 all, you know, to me, it's it's trying to do something philosophically that is very different from what we want to do. We want Washington State and the Pacific Northwest to be a part of this process with us, you know, and that's and that's a balance. So it's completely ambient uh, air, you know, maturation. So no heating, no cooling, no humidification. You know, there's no subwoofers. Yeah. There's people like playing subwoofers to move the whiskey around, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. So we we leave it alone and the beauty of the northwest is we have very as we all know very humid climate and so that makes a very delicate style of maturation and uh, and we think it's perfect as is all right well i'm digging this perfect moment to uh, take a break and uh spend some more time on our way back with uh, matt hoffman the uh, co-founder of western distillers stick around folks got more whiskey on the way on happy hour radio Some say three is a crowd. We say the more the merrier. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekdays, 9 to noon, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, it's Happy New Year in Happy Hour uh, here on 570 KVI. I am digging this. Um, my new friend from last year, Matt Hoffman, the co-founder of Westland Distillery, and he's the master distiller. Uh, they're located on First Avenue. They're open about uh, noon to 8, uh, Monday through Saturday, I think, something like that. And they take a little chance to uh, go catch those angels that are stealing some of that uh, uh, whiskey that they've got. Um, Penturing out in Hoquiam. And uh, how big is the Rick House or Rack House, if you will? How many barrels are there? So we have, at the moment, um, more than 5,000 barrels in active storage. We've been producing, gosh, 
almost 8,000 barrels. We've filled 8,000 barrels, but you know, you take that and you sell it and, and that's the name of the game. So, um, so yeah, more than 5,000 approaching 6,000, I think at this point, which is quite a task <laughs> to manage all of those. I'm sure. Now, does everyone have a barcode? Is, is it, I mean, you must be, can you look at the maturation or the temperature on your phone? Do you have an app for that? No, we're not quite there yet. Okay. I mean, that's uh, that's some high tech sort of stuff. And not that we're afraid of, of high tech stuff, but it's, it's also, that's, you know, we're trying to focus more on, on, on that flavor aspect. Like if it. we're going to push there, we'll push there. Makes sense. Speaking of flavor aspects, one of the flavors you expressions you have is called peated Westland. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so peated whiskey was a really important whiskey for us to make. I mean, peated whiskey is the origin point, right? So every whiskey in the world can trace its lineage back to peated whiskey, whether that was Scotland or Ireland who did it first basically depends on whether you ask a Scottish or an Irish person. <laughs> but, you know, we have plenty of peat here in Washington State because the climate is suited for it. What's in this glass is not that peat. This is Scottish peat. So I think I've mentioned uh, last time that 80% of our barley comes from Washington State. Most of what doesn't is the peated malt. But the only reason for that actually is because no malting company, the company that sprouts barley, that's what malting is, makes peated malt in America. Right. Which is a very frustrating problem to have when you're starting a single malt whiskey distillery. So, yeah. So this is sourced, the peated malt in this um, is sourced from Scotland, um, Baird's Malting Company. Um, but we're also trying to not copy Isla whiskeys. And I love Isla whiskeys for what it's worth. But right? We're not from Isla. We're from Seattle. So we wanted to still take that core house style, the roasted malts, the Belgian yeast, the new oak. So we take that recipe, mash, distill, and mature that. And then we take a recipe of very heavily peated malt, uh, mash, distill, mature that, and then blend it together. So you've got a more balanced peated expression. Blend it before bottling? or Before is it... bottling. Okay. But after in... maturation. Okay. Um, the peatness here, uh, peatiness, if you will, on the aroma, and of course, aroma is taste, but on the palate, it's not heavy. It's not so oily. It's not campfire. It's not camphor. Um, certainly smoke notes, but it's it's reminiscent of like cookies at an open house, right? You just, because when you smell that, oh, those are good cookies. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what you're experiencing there is this combination of of these peat notes, or maybe it's like cookies cooked on like like a... <laughs> like a wood stove or something like that, you know, where you're you're experiencing the peat plus these core elements of our house style, and that's that's exciting for us because it allows us to create something new in the world of peated whiskey. It's the, again, it's the oldest style of whiskey in the world, but at the same time, now we can do something new with it, which is a very exciting thing for us always. So I'm curious. So the the malt the barley comes malted uh, already with the peat. So you have is there? Can you dial in ppm? Parts? Absolutely. So All this right. is a 55 part per million peat on its own now. By the end of the blending process, that average tends to be closer to 20 or 25. Through dilution, but is there also a loss of peat in actual maturation? There is, yeah. Peat is, peat is one of those things that drops in maturation. and they, I don't know if people have quite figured out why yet, but it is one of those things that decreases over time in a cask. It's got to be like ions or something. The, the electrons are sort of just fade out. There's some chemistry in there. Because it yeah. it's such a um, volatile, I mean, it's, you smell it. PPM well, yeah. and it's 55. It's true for all these compounds. You know, things are evaporating out of the cask. It's not just the alcohol and water that evaporates out, but other flavors as well. Pretty neat. Uh, when you thought about peated whiskey, was this part of the original plan? Yeah, absolutely. Again, we wanted to make something... That's pushing something forward all the time. That's the core of Westland, you know. And, not and, and, growing, you're dying. Well, yeah, and it's just also that's who we are as people. You know, I I respect immensely the whiskeys that exist in Scotland. They're they're delicious, but we're, I'm not from there, you know. And right. 
And I think that's the beauty of making a whiskey that is evocative, not just in terms of the agriculture of the Pacific Northwest, but the culture of the Northwest. Everything here is new. So we get to start fresh. This is true. This is the, the, the new Wild Wild West, if you will. Um, there's one more whiskey here. It's called Gariana. That's exactly right. Right. Gariana is a very special whiskey for us. I mean, I'm going to say all of them are special because, you know, I'm supposed to. But but Gariana is uh, is something that's really very, very cool and, and very special in particular to the people of the Pacific Northwest. Gariana is a whiskey that um, is made uh, by maturing part of the whiskey in casks made from the Pacific Northwest's only native species of white oak, which is called Quercus gariana, or gary oak. So gary oak um, has gro- grows basically up and down the I-5 corridor, so from southern Oregon to basically just north of Vancouver, B.C. Uh, but that's it, like 50 miles wide by whatever that is, 500 miles long. And um, it's a very narrow growth area, especially compared to American white oak that we use for other expressions. Sure, that's that everywhere. the whole eastern half of the country. And it's it's a totally different species. And that's that's an incredibly exciting thing to bring to the world of whiskey. Because every whiskey that anybody has ever tasted, you know, listening to this, you know, will be made with one of three species of oak. Definitely American white oak. There's two European oaks. If you're lucky, you've been able to taste a Musanara oak, Japanese oak, and Japanese whiskey. Really extraordinary stuff. Uh, but this is oak species number five. And, and it's our own. You know, and that's the beauty of it. And it has such... A distinct flavor, molasses, dark spice, like clove notes. Um, it takes the fruity notes that we get from our, our esters, our fermentation, turns them all kind of jammy, like blueberry jam, blackberry jam, things like that, uh, and a slight, almost slight smokiness. That's very interesting descriptors, and I, I know that we can be influenced by some suggestion. But there is, um, when I think about fruit, a lot of times in whiskeys we'll talk about apricots and or perhaps citrus and pears and, and apples. But we don't necessarily talk about berries, whether it be blueberries, huckleberries, blackberries, or raspberries. Um, and I did get that blueberry note because um, it, it was just different. And I'm, I, as a small am, like, you're not used to saying that for some particular um, uh, beverages other than outside of wine. Uh, but this had it. Now, did you have to... Uh, get the the oak analyzed so you knew how many linens there were or um, what are they called, vanilla lactones and yep. things like that? Yeah, so there was a study that was done uh, way back, uh, actually by a Scottish uh, professor uh, named Dr. Jim Swan, who who was a legend in the world of whiskey, passed away a few years ago. And uh, and he, he analyzed it. And why he analyzed it, I actually don't remember, but he compared it to American white oak to Quercus alba and then to Quercus rober, which is like the French oak. Yes. And he found that the the chemistry of it, totally different, very phenolic in character. So phenolic is also the same family of compounds that produce peat. So spice and smoke are all like associated together and it's super, super different. Um, You know, it's totally unlike, it's closer to French oak, if anything, than American white oak, Um, but it's absolutely distinct. It's a delicious expression. Is this a um, a limited supply, or have you? Because I'm I'm we're not really growing uh, Quercus gariana per se as a farm or a cooperage. Yeah, so that's that's one of the most interesting things about this this species of oak, is that basically anywhere that people wanted to live in the Northwest, basically along the I five corridor, that's where this oak grew. But 150 years ago, everybody came in and cut down 95 percent of it which was a mistake. Um, <laughs> but that's where all the farmland was. 
And uh, so they cut all this down. So actually, most of this oak is protected up in Victoria, B.C. I think it's a $10,000 fine if you cut one of these trees down. So we Canadian or? Canadian, which is changing, <laughs> you know, but still, that's a lot of money no yes, matter what is. the exchange 10, rate. But, uh, you know, but the idea is that, you know, we're not cutting any of these trees down. We're sourcing only naturally fallen oak. Um, oh, and wow. then we have to take that, cut it, air dry it for three years to break down those tannins in the wood. And we're doing all of that work ourselves and our partners. Most distilleries, you don't have to do that. The cooperage oh, yeah, will yeah. think about that. But Sabine because we're starting Moreau from scratch, and... yeah, we're starting from scratch. So we get to do all of that at the beginning. And uh, that's quite a quite an opportunity, you know, to be able to do all of that. So um, it's a huge endeavor. And we are also working on replanting. So we're replanting Gary Oak uh, down by JBLM. You know, there's oh, a big, sure. yeah, so we're planting on a on a nature preserve down there. So we've planted more than 700 oaks down there um, and working on reforestation and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, and just trying to draw more attention to this oak that, you know, people people lived in the Northwest their entire lives, myself included. You don't even know that we have oak No, here. we don't. And uh, I'm looking about, for the acorn still. I mean, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> you think about, like, places like Oak Harbor, you know, sure. like that's what it's named for, you know? Oh, wow. And anytime you drive by JBLM, you see these oaks on the base. So they're there. You just don't know it. How ironic is that? Uh, something in our own backyard that now has come to fruition, if you will, and being used by um, a company that I'm, I'm really pleased to meet you. I'm, I'm uh, really uh, enamored with your, um, I'll call it the salt of the earth, but um, it's really the the whiskey of the world. You, you've, you've got the barley of, uh, of our existence or something like that. We'll figure it out. We've got one more segment left here with Matt Hoffman, co-founder and uh, master distiller over at Westland Distillery on Thirst Avenue in Soto District of Seattle. Stick around, folks. We're going to wrap it up here on Happy Hour Radio. He's live. He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, talk radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right. Happy New Year. You know what this means. Uh, this means this is our sixth year. Happy Hour Radio moving into the sixth year. Uh, that's like uh, 1,800 days of... Uh, I can't even think right now. Having too much fun with Matt Hoffman, who's the master distiller of at Westland. Um, Matt, we had the American Oak single malt, the Sherrywood single malt, the peated American single malt, and, of course, the Gariana, which is a Quercus Gariana, local. Uh, you can see those trees here on the I-5 corridor. If you're going up part of uh, I-90, uh, heading to Snoqualmie, and I think... Um, uh, who was it, uh, Jim Ellis or John? Uh, Jim Ellis was the guy who started that whole corridor and made sure that that was a preserve for our great uh, uh, area, great region. What's on the horizon for you? You've got four great expressions here, but I got to think you uh, you are always thinking. Yeah, there's the thing about running a whiskey distillery is you're always cooking something up and and you're doing it years before anybody is is ready to see it, which. You either learn to get comfortable with or you kind of get out of this business because that's, you know, patience is is quite a thing here. So um, the big thing that's kind of upcoming for us um, is these barley varietals that we've been working on for a while. So, you know, we've been working with barley and I've, I don't know if everybody imagines barley in their head, but usually you're thinking of like a pale tan. You know, imagine what wheat kind of looks like on a stock. Yeah. You know, and, Progresso chicken barley soup. 
Yeah. So, you know, you think about these these tan, you know, barley varietals, but we're working with like blue barleys and black barleys, red barleys, purple. Like nobody's ever really? seen stuff like that. It's kind of like corn. I like you know, the red. You know how like corn isn't just yellow. You can find darker we colors call of it corn. Maize. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's very sophisticated. <laughs> so, so we're working on some projects and actually have been for years. Um, getting ready to release something here in in 2020. That's going to be pretty exciting. I'm not going to. Say more than that. Well, but then we're you're coming on the show it. as soon as you release it, so we can yeah. uh, debut it here in some form. Um, and how are you inspired? Are you drinking? Are you tasting whiskeys from around the world? Or are you tasting um, different cuisines? I mean, when I think as a wine guy, I'm, I'm always looking for um, some appreciation of what they do from that particular place. Yeah, I'm. I'm always looking, at, and this is true for everybody within Westland, of examples of places anywhere around the world where there's an expression of that place and uh, you know terroir and, and for that to be evocative you know there are some whiskeys that are doing it but honestly i look at things like mezcal you know the category that's going on there which is just amazing you know what is happening there um, in terms of a true expression of a place but i look at wine as well i mean wine thinking about wine is how you know, it kind of steered some of our thinking. We think a lot more like winemakers than most whiskey makers do. Um, but it's beer, it's wine, it's food, you know, the farm to table movements, um, getting more connected to agriculture. We've, uh, we had recently announced that we're funding a PhD student in barley research through Washington state university up in Mount Vernon. Um, so pushing that forward as well. Um, but we're always learning all the time. The more you learn, the more you realize you have no idea of the vastness of the possibilities. And how has the parent company sort of embraced that that learning curve? Because I'm sure that, that that's it's a little difficult to explain. I think a lot of these uh, companies talk about the story from a hundred years ago that you know the that bourbon company has been around since um, you know what's his name Fred Noe was doing it or Booker Noe or, or and even the cognac houses and things like that. That that's the tradition. Yet being such a new company and you said 2011 so you're just almost a decade old there's really no history there we're still you know just learning about the abcs of our locale yeah but that's you know that's the beauty of it is is you got to start somewhere and we're and you know we as a whiskey distillery i think this is true for most people in the whiskey business is you're setting it up for 100 years from now you know and that's that's a fun thing to be a part of and it it's not you know, it's it doesn't have the immediate gratification that I think a lot of people would have, but to set <laughs> to set something up, you know, well, let me take a, a sip. Legacy, let me tell you, that's that's a cool opportunity, and and they've been great. You know, they understand that we're in this for the long haul, and when there are things that don't pay off immediately, that's okay because that's we're not in it for immediate. I just saw a tattoo. Does that really say who's Skabita? It does. Yes. How absolutely. about that? Um, well, this has been a real treat for me. I'm glad you could come back in the new year and finish our discussion because, uh, Westland has come a long way to put, um, the Pacific Northwest on the map in many different, uh, different um, regions of, of the mind, so to speak. Having this whiskey is a profound experience because it is very singular, and it's it's rare that we can have such pleasure with um, such a down-home person like yourself who is down the street. Are you at the store uh, all the time? Or I mean, if I'm not out preaching the whiskey gospel around the world, you'll find me there, yeah. I like it. It's westlanddistilling.com? Westlanddistillery.com. Westlanddistillery.com. You have four expressions, and you have some limited stuff there, right? We do, and actually, you know, the, this is an exciting time of year for us. Uh, you know, later this month we have a a festival we call Pete Week. Um, so Pete Week is is a basically an expression of of heavy peat. So it's the one time of year that we release a really heavily 
peated whiskey, and it's a one-time only release, distillery only. So if you're going to choose a time, I'd come down during the Pete Week Festival. We got cocktail competitions, we got cool. food festivals, all sorts of cool stuff. All right, just as long as not patchouli week. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, Matt, Matt, Foreman, uh, Matt Hoffman, thanks so much for... See, you've got me already thinking. Matt Hoffman with the Westland Distillery. Thanks so much for joining Happy Hour Radio. Folks, it's the new year. Have a resolution. Always have a designated driver when you're out and about. And I'll see you next week on Happy Hour Radio.